Well, good evening. One more time. Good evening. It is so good to be here, to be in worship, to be with you in fellowship, to be in God's Word. Let's open up in the book of Proverbs, where we left off in chapter 23. In chapter 23, we're going to see that the Bible actually teaches us to control ourselves. I can remember hearing that a lot as a kid. Control yourself, especially in school, sometimes at home with my parents. Control yourself. See, the problem, though, is, and I guess you figured this out, it's very hard to control ourselves, isn't it? In fact, it's impossible. Apart from God's Holy Spirit in our lives to give us the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, which is really kind of a misnomer because self-control is taking yourself and giving it to God so that God has control. So it's not as if you're really controlling yourself. You're giving your life to Christ. You're submitting to him and to his word, and therefore you have self-control, but you're not the one controlling yourself. What the Bible teaches us in the book of Proverbs in this section is to learn to control yourself. That is, follow God's word. That's submitting to God's word through the power of the Spirit, and you'll find that you'll be blessed. And so we're going to see, as we go through these next two chapters here, that the most important thing in this section, in chapter 23, verses 1 through 11, is to learn to control yourself. That is, to give God control and obey his word. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. As we're in Proverbs this evening, may you give us understanding so that we might apply your word to our hearts. May we be able to do the things that you've called us to do, which we know are impossible apart from your strength, apart from your spirit in our lives. So fill us with your spirit, anoint us, and empower us to please you with our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now these Proverbs here go a little bit more quickly than some of the Proverbs we've studied up to this point. They're, they're, more, they're a little larger than just a verse. They're, they're sort of paragraphs, if you will. And we're going to look at the first here in verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> I'll read verses 1 through 3 in chapter 23. Very practical advice. When you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. Now, this is very interesting, because I don't think we're just talking about food. It's sort of a metaphor, really. We're talking about more than just food. But as it relates to food, the encouragement is to not indulge ourselves just because you have the opportunity. You know, I've seen this commercial. I guess it's Noom. They have this commercial that helps people with, I guess, who eat too much or eat when they shouldn't or want to lose weight. And one of the things they talked about in the commercial is there are people that whenever there's free food, they feel compelled to eat it. It's kind of like, it's a compulsion, actually. It's not even that they're hungry. Oh, free food, I got to eat it. And uh, I think sometimes we do indulge ourselves inappropriately. We indulge ourselves in our appetites just because the opportunity is there. Now, when you're thinking about this, don't just think about eating any indulging at all according to any appetite you might have, anything that is appealing to you that's fleshly, not necessarily sinful, although eating is great, gluttony is sinful, right? Uh, Drinking is, I mean, I personally don't drink alcohol, but even drinking some alcohol isn't really a sin, getting drunk is. So it has to do with moderation, it has to do with living appropriately, but remember this, you're not supposed to just indulge yourself just because you have the opportunity. 
just because it's there. You don't have to get involved. And that's really what's being said here. So when you sit uh, to dine with a ruler, notice very graphic description, put a knife to your throat. That is, (laughs) control yourself. If you're given to gluttony. You wouldn't want to go before a ruler and then be known as the guy that, you know, went back for thirds and fourths, right? You wouldn't want to be that person. It doesn't it doesn't show that you have, are, or are a person of character or that you have control. And notice, do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. Now, this, this is the idea that only rich people can really afford delicacies. I mean, I, I sometimes go over to Calandra's Bakery, and they have a beautiful showcase of desserts. And if you've ever been there, you know, it's very hard to resist. Uh, but if you go to a place where there's things like that, that you really, you know, you shouldn't crave. You might be able to partake once in a while, but if you give yourself over to sweets or, or delicacies or, or anything, even according to the flesh, that really feeds your flesh, you're going to find you're not going to do well. That's deceptive. And the things of this world are deceptive as well. And so that's an encouragement to control yourself. Also, some of, one of the other things we need to talk about is Uh, Do not make wealth your motivation in business. A lot of this has to do with uh, wisdom for your business. We started that when we got to chapter 22. But don't make wealth your motivation in business. Now, a lot of people say, well, what should it be then? Well, it shouldn't be wealth, and I'll tell you why. We read this, I believe it was last time we were together in 1 Timothy and in chapter 6. This was a warning from Paul, a warning about the spiritual dangers of wanting to be wealthy, when he says, godliness with contentment is great gain in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Notice this. This is the warning. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, money doesn't solve all your problems. Have you noticed that? I've said that to some people. You know, money's not going to solve all your problems. And some people will say, well, it'll solve some of them. And indeed, money does solve some of our problems. But it can also create problems, especially the love of money. If you give yourself over to that desire, it actually creates more problems than it solves a couple of words of advice I would share with you would be never sacrifice your health for your wealth. If you do, I mean, riches come and go, right? But once you've lost your health, it's often too late. There are many people that give themselves strokes or heart attacks or stress themselves out and have health problems, trying to get wealthy, and they say, well, i got to get money in case I get sick, but they're actually making them sick, actually making themselves sick in order to get money. Be careful with that. And so... It's okay to be prosperous in your business, but don't make that the goal. Just wealth for wealth's sake isn't the goal. shouldn't be the goal. And so in verses 4 and 5, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Notice, wear yourself out. That is, you would put your health aside for the sake of your wealth. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Isn't that true? Have you ever watched the stock market too much? And then you, you look at the losses. Generally, they're paper losses. That is, you buy, and then it goes up, and it goes down, and it goes up, and it goes down. And then if you were to 
sell at that particular moment, you would lose money. But you haven't sold, so you really haven't lost any money. But the net worth of your investments has gone down on paper. It's sort of a paper loss. And I know people that watch that too much. They watch that every day. And, oh, today I lost $100,000. Actually, no, you didn't. Not unless you sell today. Because tomorrow you might make it back. But isn't it something that riches, they, they kind of go away. They fly away sometimes. They sprout wings like, and fly off into the sky like an eagle. You can't see them anymore. So another reason not to put your trust in these things, into riches. Another thing, look at verses 6 through 8. Do not eat the food of a stingy man. Do not crave his delicacies, for he is the kind of man who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but in his heart, he is not with you. You will vomit up the little you have eaten and will have wasted your compliments. That's, oh, this is really good. Oh, thank you so much. Well, it's going to become such a miserable experience from a stingy man that you would have wished you didn't even eat. That's a description. Now, we talked about a generous person last week. Let's talk a little bit about the stingy man. Basically, do not receive the quote-unquote generosity of someone that is insincere. Sometimes people will say, oh, yeah, have, have another plate, have what you want, but really they're hoping you won't, you know? They're really hoping you won't because they're thinking about the cost of the food. Basically, the encouragement is to never receive something that may have strings attached, you know? Have you noticed that, that some people are all too willing to give, but they want something in return? Be very careful. The best way to influence them for good is to owe them nothing. Owe them nothing. Now, a generous person, you receive graciously, but a stingy person, it's best not to even partake. That's the idea. Good, good encouragement here. Uh, I love this particular proverb, verse 9. Do not speak to a fool, for he will scorn the wisdom of your words. Now, one of the things I've been struggling with these last couple of years is many, many times I waste my time. What do I mean by that? I'm talking to someone, I'm speaking with someone, and maybe I take 20 minutes to encourage them. And the whole time I'm talking to them, the whole time I'm speaking to them, I'm thinking, they're not going to listen. And i got to be careful not to become cynical. Because a lot of times I don't even want to bother. I mean, why bother? Wasting my time. And that really is the truth of this. Do not waste your time or your words on those that ignore wisdom. So what I mean by this is it might be good to share the truth of God's word with anyone. But if you notice that they don't listen, maybe back off a little. Like, I don't sit down and have counseling appointments very often. Why? Because I'm here on Wednesdays and Fridays. And if people come on Wednesdays and Fridays or to any of our studies... They're going to find they're going to receive all the counsel they need from God's word. Now, having said that, if someone who already comes on a Wednesday or a Sunday comes up to me and has a question or, or, needs, to, or needs clarification maybe or needs some further information, I'm more than glad to help them. But if they don't even show up to service and then they come and they want my time, I don't give it to them. Does that sound harsh? Let me give you an example. What if you were to host a dinner and you had all the food on the table Let's say the dinner started at 6 o'clock, and no one showed up. And so you take all the food, and you put it away, and you put it in the containers, and you put it in the fridge, in the freezer, and then someone shows up at about 8.30 and says, oh, I heard you're having a dinner party. Are you going to take all the food out and cook it up again? No, they missed it. And that's kind of what it's like. There was all this available to you, but now you want leftovers. But wait a minute, you didn't show up to dinner. And I think a lot of times the people that 
and I don't want to sound too harsh, the people that truly will waste our time are the people that don't avail themselves of the opportunities that are before them, and they want a special audience, or they want to call you, or they want to, they want to bend your ear, so to speak. And if they had just come to service, they would have heard God speak. There are sometimes people that come in like at the end of service, and I make note of that. Because if they try to talk to me, I will say nothing more than, good day, how are you, how's it going? I'm not getting into it. And, and this is a discipline that I've started to develop because time is valuable. And, you know, you have to make the most of the opportunities you have. So I would encourage people who feel that they need to hear from God or they need counseling or they, they want to sit down and talk to come and avail themselves of a Bible study. And then if there's something they need to talk about, that's worth the investment. That person has exercised wisdom. I'm not big on having my time wasted. Anyone? Does anyone like that? Because I don't. You know, and you might say, well, pastor, it's never a waste of time. But wait a minute. Don't waste your time or your words on those that ignore wisdom. Notice what it says in verse 9. Do not speak to a fool, for he'll, he's going to scorn the wisdom of your words. So there's a good encouragement. And listen, I'm saying this in love. I'm not saying this in anger. I'm just saying this in love. Okay, in verse 10, one of the things in verse 10 and 11 we're supposed to realize is don't take advantage of those that are easily deceived. There are people that are very gullible. There are people that are easily deceived for whatever reason. Maybe mentally they're not as sharp. Maybe they're older. Uh, Maybe they're just not as bright. Whatever the case might be, or they're not as savvy. Notice it says in verse 10, Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong and he will take up their case against you. Now, moving an ancient boundary stone would be like moving a fence from your property onto someone else's, stealing their property. We talked about this last week. Notice encroaching, encroaching. If, if someone builds a fence too close to your property line or on your property line or on your property, that's, that's encroachment. That's the word that's used. And you can sue them and they will have to move the fence, which is why you have to do a survey before you build something along your property line. You need to make sure you're not building on someone else's property. But notice they would do this to the fatherless. That is to orphans, people that didn't have a lot of resources, people that didn't have the power. But notice he says, their defender is strong. Speaking of God, he will take up their case against you. Don't do it just because you can. Don't do it because it's wrong. Don't do it because, don't do it at all. It's wrong to do it. And that's the encouragement there. Okay, so now we get into chapter 23, verses 12 through 35. And we've talked about how we are to control ourselves. It's basically obeying God's word. Now we're going to see, and we're kind of back to this. We've talked about this before, making good and godly decisions. Making good and godly decisions. Let's first look at verse 12. In verse 12, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. This is the encouragement to apply God's word, to listen, to listen to wisdom. Now, the next thing that's said here has to do with discipline, right? Do not withhold discipline from children. That's the point. Look at verses 13 through 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. We've talked about this. The rod is not a baseball bat. The rod is not designed to actually permanently disable someone. It's designed to correct someone. It's designed to discipline a child. You might call it a switch. You might call it the Board of Education. Whatever you want to call it, it's designed 
to help that child understand what's right and what's wrong. Now, this is much more effective when children are little than it is when children become older. But if you do not do this when children are little, it's very ineffective as they get older because they don't understand discipline at all. And there's some children you never have to do this to. Very few, but there are. And then there's some children, well, my goodness, you know, just for whatever reason, they, they need the rod to save their souls from death. That is, doing the wrong things. That word for death is sheol. That's hell, which is the consequences of living a life for themselves and not for God. So that encouragement there, do not withhold discipline from children. Correcting children is beneficial to them, and it's biblical. And abusing children is sinful. Let's be clear. See, I think sometimes we conflate discipline with abuse. They're two very different things. Of course, back in the 70s, I got to be honest with you, the kind of discipline we received could easily be (laughs) categorized as abuse. That's just the way it was. I'm not saying it was right, but it was effective. Anyway, I'm not endorsing that. But abusing children is sinful. It should never be allowed or encouraged, and I'm not encouraging it at all. Uh, But correcting children, very important. Now, what that brings about is blessing. Blessing to the child, but blessing to the parents as well. Look at 15 and 16. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. That's the parents speaking of the child because you see wise children are a blessing to their parents. Any parents here want to say amen? Amen? I guess not. Amen? Wise children, a blessing to their parents. Now, one of the other things we want to be careful to do in verses 17 and 18, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous or passionate for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Don't envy the ungodly. A lot of people do. They look at ungodly people and they envy their lifestyle. They envy their resources. Trust in the Lord. Don't envy the ungodly. Trust in the Lord. Now, one of the ways you can stay out of trouble is contained in verses 19 through 21. Listen, my son, and be wise, and keep your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. So that is the person that gives themselves over to overeating and indulging in alcohol at an inappropriate level, right? Drunkenness, drinking too much wine. Ultimately, we're told that they end up just really just sleeping through life, and uh, they actually become poor because they eat all they have. And they drink away the time, and they ultimately end up with nothing, with nothing. So the encouragement is not to spend time with those people that indulge themselves. When I was a younger person in my teenage years, I myself engaged in a little bit too much of this, indulging in alcohol and partying, and I spent a lot of time with friends that did. And when I became a Christian, I still tried to spend time with my friends because they were my friends. I found out I really couldn't. I really couldn't. And I had to sort of cut myself off from some of these friends because if I had spent time with them, I would have ended up like them. And sadly, I have reconnected over the years with some of my friends 
who continued for the next 10 to 15 years living the way we lived in our teenage years. And, I mean, they just brought so much sorrow into their lives. Addiction, health problems, dead brain cells. You know, one of my friends was one of the smartest of all of us. And, I mean, after a while, I mean, he can't even put two sentences together. It's sad. It's really sad. Some people don't even make it. They end up dying of overdoses or alcohol poisoning or just ruin their lives. And so the encouragement is not to spend time with people like this. When you're with someone that indulges themselves in any inappropriate behavior, sinful behavior, you're going to find that you will become like the people you spend time with. Bad company does corrupt good morals. So your job is to know when you can't spend time with certain people. Verses 22 through 25, this is an encouragement to our younger folks. In verse 22, listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. But buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. The father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth rejoice. Now this essentially gets to listening to your parents as a young person. Listening to your parents, the people who are caring for you. Now, of course, this assumes godly parents. I do not say that the scripture is suggesting you listen to ungodly parents. But to godly parents who are training you in the way you should go, just listen. Listen to them. Why? Well, first of all, they have your best interest at heart. Second of all, they're teaching you the Word of God. They're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. But ultimately, listen to your parents, pursue wisdom to their blessing, but also to your own. Now, here's another thing, verses 26 through 28, another encouragement uh, in terms of making good and godly decisions, not getting involved in negative or inappropriate sinful behavior. Look at verse 26. My son, give me your heart. And let your eyes keep to my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit, and a wayward wife is a narrow well. Like a bandit, she lies in wait and multiplies the unfaithful among men. Now, this is inappropriate sexual behavior, right? So, getting involved in inappropriate sexual behavior or relationships that are sinful are described as falling into a pit or a narrow well. Well, now it's interesting because when I was a kid, I didn't mind being in closed places, closed places like I, I didn't mind being in those types of places. As I've gotten older, uh, it kind of freaks me out a little, to be honest with you. I, I definitely would not be good in exploring caverns or caves. The thought of it kind of freaks me a little bit. I think all of us, as we get older, become claustrophobic a little bit more than when we were kids. Maybe because we're bigger, I don't know. But I know this, a deep pit, or as it describes here, that well, a deep pit, a narrow well, does not sound like a pleasant experience. And that's because this behavior ultimately is the same thing. It will bring about the same discomfort and difficulty, circumstances, curses in your life. That's the idea. That's a pretty, pretty uh, powerful statement, actually. Poetic, but powerful. So do not get involved with loose or immoral individuals. That's the point. Don't get involved in inappropriate sexual relationships. Here's a good one. I like this one. Verse 29. I mean, I like the message. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? 
Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. And when I wake up, so can I, when will I wake up so I can find another drink? Oh, that's so accurate, right? If you've ever been on a ship in a storm, you understand that's pretty much what it feels like when you partake in too much alcohol or drugs for that matter. The encouragement is not to abuse alcohol. It's sad to say, but drugs and alcohol, oh my goodness, how many people's lives have been and are being ruined because they give themselves over to this behavior. It destroys our lives emotionally, relationally, physically. It's an addictive substance. And addictive substances are horrible for us, whether they be medicines, prescriptions, illegal drugs, whatever it is, alcohol, it, it's, it's horrible. It causes brain damage. It invites physical harm. It does. And it creates a cycle of dependence from which it's extremely difficult to break free. Why would you do this? All things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power of any, Paul said. That is, I can do just about anything I want, but why would I? Why would I give myself over to an addictive substance? You know, why would I do that? Unless, of course, I was a fool. And it's, I think it's fair to say that all those who are involved in this behavior can be described as foolish. And the Bible wants us to know we shouldn't be involved in this behavior. Amen? If anyone ever says to you, well, how do I know drinking is a sin? You can bring them to this scripture. It's pretty clear. Not the only one, but certainly a very powerful verse. A couple of verses. Okay, now we get into chapter 24. This has to do with applying wisdom to your life in, again, different areas. It's a very practical study this evening. Very straightforward. Not hard to understand, just really difficult to apply. But here we go. Verses 1 and 2. This has to do with staying away from bad influences. Do not envy wicked men and do not desire their company, for their hearts plot violence and their lips talk about making trouble. This is just great wisdom, right? It's kind of stuff our parents told us, really, when we were kids. If you had good parents, it's kind of stuff I've heard my whole life. Didn't mean I listened all the time, but this is the stuff we need to hear. So, an encouragement to listen, an encouragement to stay away from bad influences. Now, the blessings of wisdom are outlined for us. Verses 3 through 4. In verses 3 through 4, we read, by wisdom a house is built and and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Now, he's not talking about building a home. That is a metaphor or an analogy. He's talking about establishing your life. Like building a home, your life can become established. You can establish your life, and a person's life is established through wisdom. Another thing wisdom does, verse 5, a wise man has great power, and a man of knowledge increases strength. That is to say that it increases a person's influence, wisdom. If you use wisdom, people will actually be impacted by you. You will have a greater influence in the world and affect others around you for good. Verse 6, we see that wisdom seeks the guidance of others when needed 
Not afraid to ask for directions, if you will, you know? Not afraid to ask for help when you need it. Pride would prevent that from happening. But look at verse 6. For waging war, you need guidance. And for victory, many advisors. The idea here is waging war was about the biggest decision you could make in the ancient world because it literally was a decision of, of life or death. Now, today it's no different. There are many big decisions we have to make in life. I don't think any of us are about to declare war, but we're in a world where that's happening even at this very moment. And many times, nations or organizations will launch a war. They'll wage war without guidance or without wisdom. And they don't achieve victory because they don't have any advisors. They're just doing what they think they should do. They're just looking for vengeance. And when you approach things like that, when you do, when you approach things like that, what you find, you usually fail in your objectives. Now, I have to be honest, I really hope that right now what's happening in Israel turns out for Israel's blessing, for the blessings of the Palestinians as well. Because this Hamas and Hezbollah, these terrorist organizations, it's exactly what they are, need to be destroyed. And it's sad to say you have to destroy a person. I never think that's a good thing. But if a rabid animal were running around the church right now trying to bite any of you, I would kill it. I would. I don't like killing animals, but I would kill a rabid animal because I wouldn't want anyone here to be hurt. And that's what we see the world, what we're dealing with today. That's what Israel's dealing with right now. And listen, I'm not taking sides on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I'm saying that this is bad stuff. And clearly they don't have any guidance. Clearly they're not going to achieve victory. Uh, I don't think you can call what they achieved victory. But again, if you're going to do something like that, you want to make sure you have good advice. And clearly some people never look for good advice at all. And sadly many people suffer, many innocent people suffer as a result. So ask for wisdom when making big decisions. Another thing, you simply cannot inspire a fool. Look at verse 7. Wisdom is too high for a fool. In the assembly at the gate, he has nothing to say. There's some people that, again, getting back to sort of wasting your words, there's some people I could talk to for days and it wouldn't make any difference because they're, they're going to do the foolish thing because willfully they choose to disobey God. They want nothing to do with his word. They won't submit. It has nothing to do with their intelligence. It has to do with their will. They don't want to follow God. They don't want to submit to God. And so in that case, it's the wisdom of God is too high for a fool because the fool is he who has said in his heart there is no God. So it's not really help them because they don't want to hear it. So sometimes I think as Christians, we waste a lot of our time trying to share wisdom with someone who's never going to want to hear it. Now, the gospel we can share with everyone. It doesn't mean they're going to listen, but at least they'll know the truth. But applying wisdom... You know, you really have to be led of the Spirit because a lot of people that really are just going to waste your time. Another example, like there have been times where people have come into the fellowship and they're, they're obviously inebriated, that is, they're drunk or they're on drugs. I waste none of my time trying to share wisdom with them. I really don't because they're probably not going to even remember what I tell them anyway. I know I sound like a real hard person in some of the things that I'm, I'm saying, don't I, right? Oh, well, what's up with Pastor Tim? He sounds kind of cranky. Didn't he just go on vacation? Would he come back cranky? No, you know what? I, I kind of, on a personal level, resent people wasting my time. I do. I, 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 because I would love to see them do well, but they just don't. This is after like 40 years of ministry, I can tell you. I've wasted far too much of my time 
trying to help people that don't really want to be helped. It's one of the reasons in recovery ministry you can't help anyone until they come forward. So many times family members will be like, oh, could you talk to my son? Could you talk to my... No. They can call me, but I'm not going to call them. They have to reach out for help. Otherwise, it is a complete and total waste of time. It makes no difference whatsoever in their life, and it wastes your life. So that sounds kind of harsh, but it's still true. Okay, and it's biblical. (laughs) Okay, so down to verses 8 through 10. Here are the curses of foolishness, verses 8 through 10. He who plots evil, in verse uh, 8 of chapter 24, he who plots evil will be known as a schemer, and the schemes of folly are sin, and men detest a mocker. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? I like that verse, that last verse. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Oh, ye of little faith, Jesus might say, in the boat, you know, when the storms come. Oh, ye of little faith. Ye of little faith. I mean, if, you're, if it falters, if you falter in times of trouble, and listen, we're living in troubling times, how small is your strength? One of the things I was a little disappointed with, and to be, to be frank, uh, during the COVID years, as I'm calling them, the COVID years, that time of the pandemic, uh, a lot of people's faith faltered, you know. Their strength faltered. They, they actually, uh, during that time of trouble, they, they didn't show any real strength or commitment to God. They're all too willing to submit to the ungodly government and no longer gather for worship and just sort of throw out their relationship with God and disobey God's word for the sake of, quote-unquote, being safe. And I really have to say, I was disappointed. A lot of people disappointed me in their faith because they were not trusting in God. Now, I'm not saying they should have been reckless or foolish, but at a certain point, I think everyone figured out masks didn't work. I, I think we figured that out. Clearly, vaccines didn't either. So it's like... At a certain point, you got to wake up and say, well, you know, they tried, but let's be honest. What are we dealing with here? You know, I mean, now that you look back and all the experts are, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we knew masks didn't work. Oh, thanks. That's really appreciate that. And so did we, but you're the one that passed laws that made it impossible for us to keep our jobs. So you see, in those situations, I would say it this way. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Clearly not very great at all. But back to the context here. The curses of foolishness, I mean, it destroys our reputation, right? You're known as a schemer. You're known as a mocker. If you are a foolish person, if you plot evil, if you scheme foolishness, it also brings personal failure during a crisis. And that's what we saw in great measure during those years recently. Verses 11 through 12, I like this. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering toward the slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? This has to do with the responsibility of sharing the truth, right? Show mercy to others. Show them mercy. Offer helpful information on their behalf if possible. So if you see somebody doing something incredibly stupid, Okay, let's say you see someone walking through a thunderstorm holding up a metal rake. That is lightning is coming and they're holding up a metal pole, let's say. And you say, oh, I hope he doesn't get struck by lightning. That's, that, that's not very merciful. It, saying to them, you know, you need to take cover. A storm is coming, and chances are you're not going to make it if you behave this way. Now, that's an example of very foolish behavior, but there are lots of people who are doing very foolish things, and we, quite frankly, 
Never sell, never tell them. Now, you lovingly tell them the truth. Tell the truth in love. Hey, you know what you're doing? Running around the middle of the street, you're going to get killed. You know what you're doing? Living the way you're living, it's going to bring disaster. Oh, I don't want to hear it. Oh, Mom, Dad, I don't want to hear it. Well, listen, you still have to be able to tell them the truth. By the way, this is an interesting note. An ancient custom encouraged public testimony prior to sentencing. An ancient custom encouraged public testimony prior to sentencing. So before they sentenced someone, uh, people would stand up and, and share their testimony. So to keep silent or plead ignorance is no excuse. We need to open up our mouths sometimes. The same can be said of our great responsibility to preach the gospel. We need to preach the gospel. How will they know unless someone tells them? See, a lot of people, well, you know, I don't really want to rock the boat. I really don't want to cause any problems. I don't want to cause an argument, so I'm not going to say anything. That is exactly how we got to where we are in our culture today. Well, I don't want to offend them. I don't want... No, we don't want to offend people necessarily, but the truth sometimes is offensive, but it's, it's, it's valuable. It's important. And there are people doing all kinds of crazy things in our world today because people who know better aren't telling them. So when I tell someone that a man is a man or a woman is a woman, I'm not trying to hurt their feelings. I'm telling them the truth. And if they're offended by the truth, that's not really my problem, but it is my problem if I don't tell them the truth. There are many pastors cowering in their studies, unwilling to confront the truth of God's word and the truth of life because they're afraid they'll get fired or someone might not like them. Or, lo and behold, they may get unfriended. I'm not even on any of those things, you know, Instagram or whatever those, Facebook. When When everybody got excited about that, I said, oh, that sounds like a trap to me. I never got it, never was on. I don't have a cell phone either. You know, my wife has one for the car just in case of emergencies, but we don't, we don't use cell phones. I, I saw behind all of those things before they happened. They, 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 they're distractions. You know, I never much liked telephones to begin with. Why would I get another one? I've got two as it is, one here in the office, one at home. And I get a little upset when it rings. I don't want, I don't want my phone to ring. Really, I don't. So why would I get another phone to carry around with me so it can ring and disturb me and annoy me? See, I don't want distractions in my life, but you know something? I have to be willing to confront the truth. I have to be willing to tell people the truth. And if I'm not willing to do that, then I shouldn't be up here. Well, but pastor, you might get yourself in trouble. I'm going to get myself in worse trouble if I don't tell the truth. And I'll take my chances. I'll side with God and his word every day, every day of the week. So in verses 13 through 14, I think I read 11 and 12, right? Uh, Back to 24. Yep. Look at this, verses 13 through 14. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to 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 your taste. Know also that wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, there is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Now that's, again, a metaphor. We're talking about... Honey, but we're not really talking about honey. The word, of the, the word of the Lord is sweet. It's like honey from the honeycomb. The scripture tells us that. The sweetness of wisdom, God's word, there is a sweetness. And the idea is to go after that sweetness of God's word. Take that in. That's why we're here this evening. So I'm preaching to the choir. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. And wisdom is as well. 
It's sweet to your soul. And there's where our future and our hope comes from. Obviously, it says your hope will not be cut off. So that's an encouragement, again, to apply wisdom to your life. Here's one basically telling us don't steal. Look at verses 15 through 16. Do not lie in wait like an outlaw against a righteous man's house. Do not raid his dwelling place. For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. But the wicked are brought down by calamity. That is, God's going to prosper the, the righteous man, but the wicked person who behaves in this way is going to be destroyed. That's what all of the book of Proverbs, indeed all of the Bible teaches. That wickedness brings death. That uprightness, that godliness brings blessing. Also, don't delight in evil. Look at verses 17 through 18. Do not gloat when your enemy falls, when he stumbles. Do not let your heart rejoice, for the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from him. That is the wicked person. So you're not supposed to delight in evil, but I have to be honest. If I'm going to be honest, I like it when the bad guy gets it. And don't tell me you don't either. You know when you're watching a movie and there's a bad guy? Maybe it's a Western I was watching the other day, I think it was the remake of The Magnificent Seven. And when the bad guy got it at the end, I was very happy. I, 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 I really enjoyed seeing that happen. Now, now, there's a balance here, okay? Because there's coming a day when all the wicked people in the world will be judged if they don't repent. And you know what? That's God's justice. And we can rejoice in that justice. That's God's justice. But vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. We're not supposed to take matters into our own hands. That's really the gist of it. But you can rejoice when God brings us justice. We always rejoice in the work of God. But the idea here is not to delight in evil. Don't delight in taking revenge against someone else. Leave that with God. As it says here, don't gloat when your enemy falls, and when he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice. Okay? Uh, you don't wish the worst for your enemy. You wish for that person to be blessed. But I'm going to say this. If that person is wicked and evil, then you pray for God's justice. You pray for mercy, but then you also pray for God's justice. Not vengeance, not vengeance. Or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from him, that is, toward you, because you're behaving in a way that's inappropriate. Okay, so do not envy, verse 19. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future hope, and the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. So do not envy. Verses 21 through 22. Fear the Lord and the king my son, and do not join with the rebellious, for those two will send sudden destruction upon them, and who knows what calamities they can bring. So that is your authority and God himself. Uh, You're supposed to respect authority, clearly. Now, there are times where you have to respect the Lord. Notice, fear the Lord and the king. Uh, The problem is, recently, there were people who feared the king or the leadership in our country and didn't fear the Lord first. God comes first, amen? The fear of the Lord is a blessing, but Fear of man? It's a trap. It's a snare. It's a snare. So we fear God and then the king, and uh, we are encouraged not to rebel against our authority, unless, of course, our authority is asking us to rebel against God. Finally, in the last section here, we are encouraged to live an upright life. And here's how. Verses 23 through 25, we're encouraged to be just. Now, all of these encouragements start with a the word be. So they're imperatives. Be just. What do we mean? Look at verse 23. These are the sayings, the further sayings of the wise. These also are the sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the guilty, you are innocent, 
Peoples will curse him and nations denounce him, but it will go well with those who convict the guilty. And rich blessing will come upon them. So this is talking about justice. Be just. Our justice system is flawed. It's still probably the best system there ever was, but, but be just. Sadly, our nation is failing because we have these different tiers of justice, these justice for people who, who can bribe us or, or bribe the courts, and then there's justice for the person who can. That's the two-tier justice system. It's what we see. Uh, we should be just. Now, verse 26, be honest. An honest answer, I like this. This is very descriptive. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. It's, it's just very graphic, but the idea, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. It's like, that's exactly what you want to experience. You want someone to answer the question in a pleasant way, but you want them to answer honestly. So be honest. Be just. Be honest. Verse 27, finish your outdoor work. This is great for this time of year, because I've got about three or four things I need to do uh, before the winter hits, Right? Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready after that build your house. Now, what does that mean? Well, you can have a wonderful house, but if you have no food to eat, you're not going to make it very far. So what you want to do is make sure you put first things first. So finish your outdoor work for someone in this society meant making sure you plant your fields, you sow your fields, you reap your crops. You need to take care of first things first, right? So, like, what if you took all your money and you bought a new sofa, but you go to your fridge and there's no food in it? Let's use that example for us. Clearly, you'd rather sit on the floor but be able to eat, right? you got to put first things first. And obviously, this has to do with being responsible. So be just, be honest, and be responsible. Verse 28, verses 28 through 29 Do not testify against your neighbor without cause or use your lips to deceive. Do not say, I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. And this is what Jesus taught us, not to say an eye an eye, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This this is the idea of not taking vengeance again. This has to do with being kind and, and not being vengeful. So be just, be honest, be responsible, be kind, not vengeful. And finally, this evening, be diligent. Look at verses 30 through 34. I went past the field of the sluggard, that is the lazy person, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. And the stone wall was in ruins, and I applied my heart to what I observed, and I learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Learn from the mistakes of others. Life rewards the diligent. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and these words of wisdom. And there is no greater wisdom that we can apply to our lives than to give our hearts and our lives to you. As we opened, we talked about that truth. The, the truth that the wisest thing we can do is ask for the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives to obey your word. Because we know that we can't even control ourselves unless we give control of our lives to you. And we can do that and the power of the Holy Spirit can come upon us because you came and died on a cross for our sins and rose again on the third day. 
You ascended into heaven. Were you ever lived to make intercession on our behalf? And you're coming again to judge the living and the dead. So we need to put our faith in you, our trust in you. And as we look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, we know that you will do all of these things and apply all this wisdom to our hearts, to our great blessing. And we know this truth, and we ask you to make that real in our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.